2: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in Early Modern History, a podcast on the New Books Books Network. I'm Yana Byers, your host, and I'm here today with Rosemary San Juan, professor of art of the History of Art at the University College London, to talk about her new book, Violence and the Genesis of the Anatomical Image, out with Penn State University Press this year,
0: 2023.
1: Hello, Rosemarie, and welcome.
0: Oh, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, having this conversation with me.
1: I am I'm very excited to talk to you. It's really nice. We had a bit of a scheduling problem. We've been doing this for a while, getting getting ready for this for a while. So, um I'm excited to be finally I'm doing ready it. Ready. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> so how are things? How's London? Well, London is is fine. Uh it's it's gotten cold and warm again. Um so no problems with London. Um uh, we are on a, in the middle of a strike so it's kind of a bit difficult but it's just it always there's always some difficulty so uh all in all no complaints other than life <laughs> yeah sure um
1: which is you know as it, as it stands probably a pretty good problem to have
0: yeah comparative to others <laughs> yes for sure
1: Okay, so our first task is to try to fit this into your intellectual trajectory. Okay. So you're the author of Rome, A City Out of Print. I'm um, oh, sorry, Rome. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Okay, Minnesota 2001, um, a book that explores the landscape of the city to get a, at quotidian life, basically. Um, Vertiginous Mirrors, the Animation of the Visual Image and, Ear- and the Early Modern Traveler. Yeah, Manchester 2011. This book that explores mobile images, like images, you know, that move in many senses of the word. Um, it's an innovative and interesting use of early modern visual culture. And then there's this interesting detour to film and urban space, Critical Possibilities, um, Edinburgh 2014, that brings your interest in urban spaces to the present day, right? So these are your monographs, or well, anyway, these are your books. And, then, and I see what feels actually like a natural progression, you know, to the in the next book, back to your first love, the early modern era, to think about new kinds of dynamic images in situ. Um, how does that sound to you? Is that a reasonable take?
0: Well, uh, the, the order that you read that, I mean, the books are the way I, they came out. But I have always worked on film and urban space at the same time as I work on technologies from the early modern, which is mostly print and urban space. So to me, it never seemed like, it seemed like ways of considering the past and the present or the recent present, uh, which is, I think, very, very useful. But um, it's it's something that I always have to explain that it's, although, it seems within the traditions of uh, disciplines that it's a shift from a real shift from one place to another. It really isn't as much of a shift to me. It uh, uh, it comes out of similar thinking and similar problems and concerns and interests and, and issues. Because in fact, my work on print has always been very, as you sort of suggested, very interested in movement, in movement, whether it's to different parts of the world, within the city, and so forth. And that is also what interests me about film: is the movie. Image: What makes uh, what is the difference between a still image, um, where you you make it move in one way, and then um, film itself having inherently as its potential its mobility, right? Its internal mobility. So, uh, just to answer your question, is I have gone back and forth. Um, have published articles on film as well. I I published this work with my colleague, uh, Geraldine Pratt, who is a geographer in Vancouver, which is where I used to be. And we also taught a course for many years on film and urban space. So to me, it doesn't feel that way, but I I do know why it looks a bit weird.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that that makes sense. I understand this. And, uh, you know, thinking about... And how you talk about images, and um, you know, and then these figures—we'll get to that in a minute—that that that makes sense with the way you talk about your subject matter in this book as well. That you're interested in kind of the image as it moves in space, and
0: yeah, that that works. So, then, how did you come to? Can I just add to that? Yes, please. I think images are best seen as transformative. Transformative, that as you see them, they keep, they change. I mean, images that are interesting. So, uh, if this book has one thing that is in common with my, uh, I mean, it has many things, obviously. But the uh, the process of imagery visual imagery being transformative because we see it in time we see we see it at different moments when we are different and so that that process I think is very important uh, instead of thinking of things as you know still and and the image is what we get and I think the image is also what we produce through looking at it and hence Uh, The images, you know, when you think about going to see, uh, I don't know, some image you like, how different it is the next time you go or how different it is because of where you yourself are and so forth. But uh, that's why I think that film is particularly intriguing because it is always in the process of changing. You never have something that's uh, saying this is it. It's always in the movement of it. So there's another way in which my stuff is really all quite interconnected.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, right. Because an image, an image doesn't exist, lest it's seen. Right.
0: It's seen, and as has been said by many, many people, uh, for many years that we always re- we always produce a new image. We don't see the same image, you and I, um, and the production is not what's there but what we do with it um so that's that's been a tradition of semiotics and our, in our history um and then with the more interest in the moving image meaning in film video and so forth that has maybe become more f- uh, the focus of a lot of interest
1: sure and one one of the issues, one of the, the themes that comes up repeatedly in this book, is how much your the interaction of crowds and your how how much the group viewing an image changes it, as well.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things that got me interested in this topic that I'm now I now have done this book on is indeed the way that uh, the same seen, the same situation, is seen differently at any given time. And in the early modern period, there was, as you know, a lot of interest in people going to see, for instance, executions. But the images we have, the images I talk about, those executions, are really for the viewer of the image not they they represent the crowd as another viewer that's distinctly different from me as the viewer of the print and of course uh, use different strategies and that's another thing about how complicated seeing is and and how interesting it is and why it's so powerful uh, is because of the different ways uh, and the Diversities of viewing and you know our backgrounds and all kinds of things. So the crowd has always been a very interesting thing because you know in history they're always they the the crowd is always a negative, uh, wild, uh, uncontrolled thing. But it was very crucial for any kind of execution, uh, certainly in the early modern period, to have people who came to witness and who. objected or supported, you know, authorities in it. And um, because I became quite interested in those sites of punishment, because of that, uh, it occurred to me that the crowd was a component that, um, in a way, it's not about anatomy, but yet it becomes about anatomy, because a lot of the display of the body in relation to any kind of situation about, let's say, a medical thing is frequently discussed in terms of how people saw those bodies in the moment of punishment so that it almost becomes like a viewing a site for um for people to to think about the body and its components rather than uh, only the the local issues of who's being punished and and you know what were the the objections or the supports because the crowd was always infinitely a contested uh, contested and and deemed to be something negative, you know. I wanted to kind of bring it out a little bit differently,
1: Certainly. which I,
0: I sort of did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's... Um,
1: okay. So, I also
0: have to say one thing, which is just like when we use the term mass, the masses, we are those, you know. It's not apart from us. And people sometimes tend to think of those, that's them, not me. Absolutely not. We are... Uh, one time or another part of a crowd, part of a mass, part of, but in those, t- that those terminologies are very much negative terminologies about people. and That is what I don't like about it, you know, about that kind of thing.
1: And, uh, and uh, you know, it's not always appropriate. It's, this is, you open the book with this, right? So it, oh, you open the book visually, the first image you see is um, a standing male figure muscles, but no skin, holding in one hand a knife and in the other what appears to be his flesh and freshly removed skin. Yeah. And yes, complete with fingers, toes, nostrils and eye holes. So it's it's an image. Um, and so immediately you, uh, the, the reader, the viewer becomes implicit, becomes part of understanding of reading anatomy immediately. And then your first text is why the rush to see someone die?
0: Oh, you remember the sentence. <laughs>
1: That's
0: <is> my job. <laughs> I prepared.
1: I sentence. <laughs> but um, so, I, I mean, that, that this is a wonderful kind of segue into the way this begins because you are immediately we are then this crowd. We are we're this crowd, but then we're talking about um, a crowd in history. Why do people? Why? Why do? Why would someone rush to see if someone die? What are they doing?
0: Well, what I think, um, uh, you know, I've had occasions where I've given quite a few talks about it. And then I always get the question of why. And then I said, oh, I thought I had answered that. But there is no like there is a, a the answer is. The, the relationship between life and death, that we are all concerned and whether we like it or not, intrigued with what is that and how does one happen? And where does one start and on the other end? And and how do we see it in the in the human being that dies? And I think that what I What I think is the case about the rush is the rush to know, can you see anything? And invariably, what people say is that they don't see anything that it's it's disappointing because you don't get the answer to what you want and and anatomists were the same you know they tried to get the body as close to between those two so in other words they did they didn't want a totally dead body and they didn't want a totally live body i hope but you know and it's that moment between life and death or what is that moment maybe that's a better way to phrase it and that is what I think also the crowd wants and the crowd is us right In in that moment and what the crowd wants to know what is going on and what but also what what's going to happen in that sense I do think that the rush is the desire to understand uh, life and death you know and how how ambiguous it is, and how uncertain it is, and and how difficult it is to pin it down in any way, even by these people who are trying so hard to do it medically and through you know study, uh, they had they had the same problem. I mean, they had the same desire and the same uh, disappointment many times. Right. The which one I think thing we carry with us, right, always. Yeah, the the one thing we know is coming that we really can't understand so and that is the thing that is at the forefront of everybody's existence well i mean some people say i don't care if i'm going to die but i never believe that i
1: don't myself. believe
0: that i think you just do that because you've sub- sublimated it or something yeah. but um, you're right it is at the forefront and it is at the forefront of facing life right what mm-hmm. it is it's ending and so forth
1: so there's this moment when life escapes the body and perhaps the idea is that then if you can catch that body if you can really understand the body then are you getting at death are you just are you getting at a truer nature of the body or is that the best way to understand a living person
0: well i think that um, there's a couple of things that i can add to, that i can uh, say about this which is that the the if you're talking about the making the body visual for somebody to, um, that uh, that there are ways in which it has to do with studying the body, but it also has ways with um, wanting to almost change the body, change its potential. So one of the things about the early modern period is that they studied the body, but not just to know what it was, but also to see how it could be made better. And that was a conflict within the social because, um, as you know, the body already had many constraints and many beliefs associated with it, not just religious but political and local and whatever. And at the same time, um, the desire uh, continues, certainly by anatomists, to say, uh, that they can make it better. They can make, as as medicine does now, right? They can make it uh, more something that will improve it. And, of course, at that time, it's also the belief that once it was a perfect body, you know, in the in the pre-fall moment, in the biblical moment where Adam and Eve supposedly were perfectly living in a paradise. And at this, but so with that, it means that they, there was a real conflict as to whether they wanted to get back to that biblical moment or, and this is really important, to move forward to a future that is different and where the body is better or, you know, more uh, fulfilled, more, less imperfect, any of those things through the intervention of human beings and medicine, right? Or medical things. And that is a real conflict because there's a kind of looking back and a looking forward. And needless to say, I think we've gone. We know where we've gone. We've gone to the looking forward. Uh, but right up to in that in this period that we're, that I'm more, that the book's about, um, there is the idea that the body can be improved artificially. So you know, we now have such a lot of interest in or worry about artificial. Um, uh, ways, but that uh, the very beginning of anatomy is about also how to uh, turn something through artifice, through science, and so forth, into something that will be more long lasting, more perfect, no, less pain, less all the things that we think about. So, so what i what I guess in a roundabout way, what I'm saying is, is that the the Uh, observation of the body whether it's in an image or in real life uh frequently comes with it uh comes what comes with it is a kind of critique and a thinking out of its future and its future at a moment where even its past is a problem you know its past is a problem a huge problem uh or at least it was for a while. It's it, There's a lot of debates as to where people stop worrying about that and just move to the future with in terms of bodies.
1: All right. Um, speaking of problematic pasts, executions are a very important part of this book as well. Punishment. Say that again, I quite, I missed. Executions, punishment in general, right? It's a really important part of this book. Um, and, you know, there's, it, so at the site of the execution, there's an executioner, the the person being punished, and then often a vivisectionist or a medical professional, which I was not—I didn't—I was surprised to learn. Um, and so I find that to be very interesting about how this problematic past in in uh, that that seems to be an inflection point where, if we're talking about the the human body and all of its promise how does it work that we have a criminal, an executed image here, or executing a person to be executed? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, you know, it's been much debated whether uh, by very good scholars whether indeed it was always uh, criminals that were executed, but what we know for sure is that the majority were criminal were deemed to be criminals. But also that that becomes particularly forceful around the 16th century. So before um, there were all kinds of ways in which people were anatomized for a different reasons, but in the 17th century it becomes um, a kind of concept of the and that anatomized body as a criminal body. And in that way, it becomes a way to, then what happens is the the body, the, that a criminal body is deemed to be uh, somewhat outside of, of uh, legal constraints. And it's really a, a creature of what is called natural law, you know, the way that those people who don't belong anywhere. And, uh, and for that re- in that way, it becomes, I think, it's, it's, it's all an assumption. It's all a, a kind of maybe educated guess. It, it's because there were a lot of problems with who was being executed. I mean, who was being not just executed, but then used for anatomy afterwards. And for that, they had to find a way to construct uh, a body that could be that that could be done too. Um, and because it was, you know, you could be punished for a crime, but to go to the next stage of being anatomized was a big leap. It was, it, you, there had to be real reasons and real justifications because of the, somehow the idea that uh, that crowd that we talked about would mostly object to the fact that the body of those they knew would not have proper burial uh, or would have a burial eventually, but it would be you know somewhat uh, dubious. Um, so, in, in that regard, I think what happens is that already um, uh, practices that have to do with authority and the law bl- start to blend in with practices of medicine. And so you have lots of medical accounts, not even, but especially by the most famous uh, anatomist, Vesalius, that he goes to executions in order to study the body, right? And that he tries to get these bodies before they, once they're being killed, but they're still, uh, you know, they begin to figure out pretty quickly that bodies remain uh, with, with their senses still our sense is still alive, is still functioning long before, uh, let's say, there's the ultimate point that you, you would say the body is truly dead. So um, I think those practices, and I did get a bit carried away with the punishment because I was fascinated by by the way that the two come together, and what happens is that with with a, the the punishment becoming part of the study, Um, it also happens that before the study started, uh, bodies were cut up in the site of punishment, as you said, vivisection because as an extra form of punishment and but you can see how it blends one goes into the other and it's very hard to say at what points it's one or the other uh, because both and they use the same practices they even use the same language when they were doing very ceremoniously these things And of course, both were to be seen, to be then looked at. Um, And you would say that one kind was in order to have a kind of sense of um, uh, preventing further uh, crime. But that was never quite the reason. Um, And the other one was to study, to, to learn about the body. But. They they it comes a point the point that I'm talking about in the book is the two are so interconnected, and um, and that is to me you see one of the reasons for the book for me was that scholars have always denied this they they want the violence and the science to be separated and. I mean, this sounds like a big statement on my part. My contribution is, is, you know, a very limited one. But what I always thought is that since they're constantly talking about the violence that has to be imposed on the body in order to learn anything, that, of course, the two were interconnected. And, of course, the two... Um, had really interesting impact on the other, right? So it wasn't just one way. It was that when the anatomy school, certainly in Rome, uh, had, you know, a real close relations with the sites of execution, they learned about the body from... From uh, uh, that is the scientists, so called scientists, we wouldn't have called them that in those days, but the people who were studying gave information to executioners as to how best to execute a body because the executioner was not just, oh, let's kill them. They had various procedures that they had to follow, including timing and so forth. So they learned about the body from from the, the anatomy school, anatomy school. And 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 through that changed the way that executions were carried out. You know, they decided that the body stayed alive much longer. That's what they learned.
2: slash nbn50 to get 50% off
1: i'm interested here in like the power and authority so we've got i mean there's this there's there's this body that's in charge of of sentencing a body that's in charge of carrying out the execution a body that's in charge of vivisection and then and then kind of having that knowledge like so what's what is the role? Maybe you can help me figure out what my question is because
0: I'm not sure. No. Oh, I know the problem. I think you're bumping into as I did, as we all do, is that these things are in formation. So there isn't like one way that everything's done. If you go from in Europe city to city, they are different how they, but. What what seems to happen is that these institutions not only want to support their own cause, like if you think about the, those in power in terms of politics, or those who want to uh, pursue medicine and are trying to suggest it's really valid at a time when lots of people didn't think it was, um, or uh, the church, right, its own stake in what uh, they, in, in this case, We're talking about Catholic versus Protestant churches. Um, That that in that way uh, they found different different interconnections and used a lot of the interconnections that were already in place for other reasons in other ways. So in Rome, for instance, where there was papal authority and civic authority, there was a real conflict between those two, as much as between anatomists, the anatomy school that had just started, and either of those, and it was—it never works quite the way we think when we think of these obvious clichés. For instance, the church never seemed to care whether you cut up bodies or not. What they cared about is whether they confessed before they, uh, you know, and and that they were being given proper burial. So they had their own concerns, um, while of course. Uh, The authorities of the city did not want their authority to be um, supplanted by the medical, which was obviously on the rise. And they knew that. So that's why all of these things, uh, it's very difficult to make any clear assessments of what it is, except that there's more interconnection and there's more conflict because of that, right? There's increasingly more conflict because of that. And that conflict has not in some ways curiously remains, um, if uh, if I could just mention the the place that I got a lot of uh, San Giovanni de Colato, which is the the organization that used to take the bodies from. I mean, they used to accompany people to their death, and then they then they became they fought to get the right to be the ones who decided um, who would be who would be anatomized, and then they would take them to to the anatomy school. So that was a, a connection that is an association that still exists to this day. And that I work very hard to get to to be able to go to their our to their place in order to see um, the images they use during the executions. Um, and they they have con- continually to function, although of course, since in Italy, since there, uh, since the banning of, of capital punishment, which was in the 19th century, um, they then changed what they were doing. But it was always in connection to people who were being punished. You know, so 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 what you have is this way in which the institutions can be incredibly flexible, and yet at the same time um, are constantly addressing. Uh, a certain concern that is in conflict with others, you know, with other uh, conflicts. And that remains to this day. I don't know if you, what you read, but I was so shocked to hear that this absolutely beautiful hotel in Rome, which is called 47, uh, which is right in front of the, uh, um, the church of San Giovanni de Colato, which is where the organization, to learn from them that all the money of the hotel goes to their charities because they own that hotel. That is the religious order. I mean, to think about uh, the the collusions is incredible and then of course from then on i kind of had a very different view of this hotel which is considered to be very it is posh and it has uh, a beautiful terrace and all that and i was thinking right on top right up we are right above the the um the fosse the the things where they keep where the bodies were Put after death. And by the way, those bodies are still there now. And for that reason, they don't really know what to do with the institution of San Giovanni Latino. Uh, decollato because they cannot now open it with remains being there with the laws that have changed, and they the the church wants nothing to do with it. The those who take care of the the works of art in Italy want nothing to do with it. And these things like the images that I you showed uh, or I have as images that were shown to those people who were put to death, they they are just fallen through the cracks, because they really have no now caretaker because no one wants to do with it and wants anything to do with it so that's when you realize that these links and interconnections are still there they're still they've not been all sorted out and become clean and modern right right
1: um yeah the use of the word collusions is interesting that was running through my mind there's a lot of collusion and then Yeah, and then I I think it's interesting now that there's this step away. Oh, we don't want anything to do with this thing. Yeah,
0: Yeah, the category no longer fits. You know, these images were not religious. They were to do with the arch confraternity that made them. They are not considered to be great works of art. Um, They are not considered to be the... the, uh, part of the, the, the Bene Culturali of Italy, which is what takes care of all the great, you know. So basically, um, they the, the whole year that I dealt with them, just to get them to talk to me and whatever, they really have not solved that problem. And they don't know how, if the problem... And they had to find a place to store these things now be, but because they could not stay where they were. And I just wonder if they're just going to disappear in some way too because, you know, Italy, and this is specifically Italy, has so many things that it has to deal with that no wonder, you know, no wonder it is just impossible. but uh, And that's just the art, but think of other things as well. <laughs> so... Um, so it it, it it so anyway so the point that the collu- collusion and the the ways in which things do change there are moments when people want to wash their hands of things and there are other moments when they want to uh, be part of it and we all know those kinds of conflicts
1: so I don't, I mean, I probably don't even need to say it again out loud, but that really does do away with the idea that the violence and the science are separate, that the punishment and... I
0: hope that's one thing that will come out of this book, is how totally interconnected they are. But there's been a huge interest in trying to separate them because of the, the fact that it's, uh, you know, there's always maybe... I don't know if it's less now, but the attempt to suggest that the, the course of medical work has not been about inflicting <laughs> pain and horrible. It's been about,
1: you know, harm. But I think it's interesting as well that then there's this collusion or um, at least there's a lot of actors involved in figuring out in the production of the knowledge of forming what we know about the human body, which, again, so there's certainly no separation of say the church and the university there as if that you know that could never be made but
0: yes yeah so there there's a huge amount of um divides uh, certainly within even the anatomical world that is all the people who are working there all the the different regions uh, of Europe but also the different public Publishers, because publishers of the of um, uh, anatomical books become very important in what knowledge is produced. Um, it's a kind of, kind of new thing. It's not just the practice, but it's how the practice is shown to the world, um, and. Uh, and the interesting thing about this is that it initiates a lot of debate through within these publications so publications don't just tell one story they are countering another one and and especially uh, interesting to me and my book is the the importance of the image in these so the image uh, which has again invariably been said to be somewhat secondary to the text, although the images are the ones we know of these of these uh, anatomy, you know the anatomy books over time have become um, less, more obsolete in terms of knowledge but the images have continued to have a real powerful effect and to me the images always showed the issue of violence not in the direct way of you know here's somebody being pun- uh, being uh, cut into pieces but the fact that the images are about the importance of violence to the to knowing the body and to the body's workings and even to the point of suggesting that things like the body's energy force free will is there because of because violence is what constitutes it and that is i think something that these images are so interesting about and so much has been missed when anatomy studies I think that the images are there just to placate the viewer or to uh, introduce some uh, some variety or, or or anything like that. When in fact, I think they're saying something about the issue of the body. And violence that cannot sometimes be said in the text, because in many cases the text uh, does cannot be allowed. You know, it's it's impossible to say that and have it published. But the images do that that kind of job in many cases. So I was trying then to figure out um, how the images are themselves ways of saying. Uh, of of evoking knowledge, not just a decoration, but also knowledge of, of, a, of actually a very important kind in relation to uh, the rest you know in relation sorry I'm going too long. <laughs>
1: Absolutely not! That's wonderful. I love your answers. You're absolutely this is it. That's your book. It's your interview. I want you to talk. That's the whole point. Um, I'm just thinking. You know, you're, what you're seeing is my face as I'm thinking through kind of how image how this changes um, in the later era, like in the, in later with the development of these really lifelike wax figures. Um, would that I find slightly disturbing. I don't know. Cause,
0: Lots but, of people do. Yeah. Okay. Especially so, the ones that are really want to show the internal body parts, right, or whatever. Less so the ones that remain more, you know, like the Adam and Eve that I have, where it's a, it's more of a, uh, it's a very vivid representation, but it's not about. In, interiority right uh, yeah they they may, so I didn't want to just do the print thing because one of the more interesting things is the way that anatomy images become um, a way of displaying uh, almost like an exhibition site not almost it is so a lot so when it when um, the idea emerges that wax can be a real um Uh, mimetic impression of the body. It can really, it's almost the closest you'll ever get. That was the idea. Um, And again, we don't really know how that got started because uh, the the, uh, Sicilian, Napolitan wax maker, Zumbo, he has the earliest one, but nobody knows why. Nobody knows uh, he was doing other things as well. He doesn't seem to be attached to a medical school. So But the issue is that after that, they do get going. And the idea then is no longer to limit these images to, let's say, the medical profession and the students and people who are interested, but to actually have cabinets for display where people can go and see them the way they might go um, and see cabinets of curiosities or cabinets of painting or something. And in that case, then they become a kind of uh, almost theatrical display of the body and arguing for something so Bologna has fantastic set of these um, and uh, and then they reproduce those and they take them to different cities of Europe so that um uh, uh, there there's some in, in the Nor- in the Netherlands, there's uh, the the famous one in Florence, the famous ones in Vienna, and in those cases, they are they become so much closer to the person watching because they're life size and they and there's the idea of of almost seeing yourself and seeing that it becomes a, a almost like a different endeavor than the printed versions, right, and. But you know, very quickly they become me- mechanized to be tubular almost to to have something that's st- that stops being about in um, a particular bodies and more about a type, and therefore that seems to almost kill it in a way because although then they still continue to use it, it isn't quite uh, as in the first in the 17th century and onto the 18th century, I should say, where it becomes an incredibly effective mode of representing the body and making people think about the body and uh, and so forth. So it, it it's a, an interesting shift that it's about, Certainly, making it more accessible to other people, but at the same time, it has a short life in terms of its. Uh, it, it then goes back to being a medical practice, you know, the, the thing of wax, the use of wax, which is still used to this day, apparently. So, um, so in that way, it uh, it has. But while it lasts, it's 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 fascinatingly strange, and as you said, it all looks. A little bit weird be, between something that's kind of a seductive and something that's kind of creepy, right? And and those divides are hard to uh, deny or define in any literal way. You know, it, it's almost like you have to go see some examples to maybe think about that. Um, yeah. So I mean,
1: how who's seeing the, the wax like image?
0: It, the evidence we have, and there's been quite a bit of work done on this, especially in relation to Bologna, because they became famous for this. So people, it appears in the guidebooks. It appears that people are invited. Rulers are always coming around. But then anybody who uh, is in some way distinguished always gets their name, saying he visited, you know, this whatever. But we do know that there was uh, there were days of the week when it was open, and when if. If you had the the the, the money, because there was a charge, it wasn't exorbitant, but it was a charge that you would go and see it. So it does it it becomes in pictures in images that show these cabinets and there's a very good famous one in Leiden uh, of of couples, you know, going and and seeing the bodies and and looking and and admiring them or being exposed to them uh, as if it's almost like an upper middle class thing to do Um, you know Again, because it's a new thing, it's hard to know the extent. Um, We do know that as soon as things get into the guidebooks, it usually means they're expecting people to, not just the dignitaries who would get invitations, but people who had not those connections that if they could afford it, they could still go in there. And it's an interesting thing because it comes... You wonder how that links up with the crowd, for instance, with people who went to see the actual executions, I think, and then seeing this in this way. Um, and it's again, you know, one of the things that we have to come to terms with is that we that that history is not so transparent, and that we can sort of think about these possibilities. But there, there, there is never. Uh, as soon as you think you have an answer to something, you find somewhere else is different, or some other uh, option emerges, and so forth. Um, so, so in that way, it's, it is. I think that the Bologna one was particularly famous because of Eve, the figure of Eve, and this is something that I did want to push on because another of the usual things that are said about anatomy, uh, European anatomy, is that it's really primarily for the male body and that all the knowledge is derived from the male body, although it doesn't mean there are some cases. And the more that I resisted that interpretation, um, knowing that A lot. Most of the images are of male bodies, but that there is a way in which the female body um, and through the figure of Eve has uh, its own its own place. And the figure of Eve, because it was you know the body made secondarily from Adam, is always in the early modern period associated with medical surgery, not with God. Powers, you know, not with that, and for that reason, there are endless. I found writings about Eve as a body that you know that shows the value of surgery, prosthetics of every. So, so on the one hand, um, the most discussed subject in the in in creation, in the, you know, comments on biblical creation, they're not about Adam, they're about Eve, because of this kind of idea. The other thing that really starts to happen, or at least I'm arguing it happens, is that Eve becomes associated, not as much as we think with um, evil or temptation or that, but becomes associated with the earth. She is always represented as the one who takes care of the garden in the, in the garden of Eden, the one who finds food, the one So she's associated with a real bodily experience and with things to do with the body's um, necessities, if you will, because in these accounts, the body still has to eat and all do all that. And, for that reason, again, she becomes in anatomical images so much more about the body, the ordinary imperfect body, before it is transformed by science. You know, so you, when you have images of these, uh, in, and it happens sometimes in title pages of these treatises, um, when you have images of these bodies that have been completely cut up, which you never have once science has, I mean, in the same treatise, uh, there's this really good argument that uh, that has been made, which is the, the front of the treatise always shows the before. And then when you enter inside, the body has become perfect or has become whatever anatomy has done to it. But the ones outside are frequently women. That, and that was one of the things that, caused me to think, what is going on here? Why is that the case? And I do think that the female body gets associated, which we can see traces of that to modern times, becomes much more associated with the imperfect body. But because... All bodies are imperfect because, in fact, Eve represented the real body rather than the uh, idealized male body, let's say, that appears in, in Vesalius in the treatise. Um, she becomes, of, of she, the character, the figure, becomes of greater interest to medicine, And so then it's not about, you know, she's like, she has no place. In fact, her place is actually, I would argue, and I argue, uh, a much more important place in a sense, because it's dealing with the real, dealing with the fact that most medical people who were working on this were dealing with people who had endless uh, imperfections and were unable to know what to do or were trying to find ways to do it. The idea of reaching for perfection is a more theoretical one and less about the real practices of medicine. So um, I, ch- I changed my mind a few times about how what to say about the, the EVE image, but I think in the end, I'm, I want her to be remembered as somebody who is stands for the human, the real human being that is not perfect and will never be perfect, right? At least as far as, and that that's the body that she stands for. Hence, she really stands for us, right? She doesn't stand for the female this or the male or the non-male that. She stands for the body that is being put uh, against the pot- potential for this perfect body that's going to come once you know once it all works out, and um, and I, I do think that there's really something to re- to this and to rethinking that tradition. Which then you know most people who are who study the modern say that really the turn against it really only happened in the modern period. It didn't happen in the pre period although it's debatable but I think that um, uh, in that way these images that also show violence in relation to the imperfect body and that's what I think is important is that uh, much of this is about the, uh, the the like the artificial heading to something artificial and perfect but really living within the body that is the body, you know, with all its problems and, and, and whatever, you know, and that's why I think Eve is certainly the Eve, um, the Eve that I've looked at in relation to um, the, the wax figures is certainly works that way. Um, I mean, it works that way and it's written about that way. And the images suggest that.
1: What a very nice way to bring this all back together. We're once again talking about the importance of the viewer the, and, and the crowd and the understanding that that's us. That all in all of this. It's us in the end. Us, it's us in the end, which is perfect because I have taken up so much of your time. Uh, so I have but one more question. Oh, Not at all. I have one more question and this one's a complete softball. What's next? What are you working
0: on? So I'm. I've gone back to decided. I've had a project on film and urban space for uh, that. Of course, has been brewing for me. For and I decided after I finish the book on violence that and I will devote myself because usually I try to do both things and it's always. Uh, but I've. I'm now firmly working on a book about film and social housing in at the time of just after the war. I mean, it's before the war and after the war. I'm especially interested in Rome, as always. But the issue is that social housing and uh, becomes a real factor in the way that film deals with the body. <laughs> and uh, so there are a lot of links. But my main interest is how... Film at this time shifts orientation from horizontal to vertical. And I'm very interested in the way that certain architectural features like staircases, le- elevators, lifts, however you say it, um, a train, all kinds of features start to re- reconsider the orientation of the screen and hence us as viewers of the screen and how we uh, have a more uh, the, the attempt is to give us a more experiential uh, idea of the screen rather than just representation you know just saying all oh, that uh, a story more the way that we physically might uh, not might but my argument would will be I think about how um, this 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 uh, change of orientation of the, f- of, uh, the screen um, says something about, you know, attitudes towards our place in cinema, our way, ability to see it. So I've been working on this for a while, but it's just that I had to put this thing to bed, as you know <laughs> how it works, and to and then to make up my mind that I would um, I would commit to that. And in fact, I've just had a sabbatical, and that's. All I worked on was my film stuff, which is weird because I'm always used to, you know, going to other archives and seeing other people. So I had to be very uh, strict with myself about that. But I think the only way I'm going to do this is if I actually devote to it because, you know, time is short; <laughs> it keeps going, mm-hmm. and uh, and in a way, it's always good also to take a bit of. a rest from the things you've become maybe too familiar with. I don't know. In a way, what I'm doing is I'm learning a lot of new things all the time as if if I'm a bit of an imposter because it's not quite my field in the same way. But it has been my field. It's just that it's a different way of thinking of fields, I think.
1: That's wonderful. That's delightful. That's actually wonderful to think about. The idea that you can just do this, you have this other passion, you know, that it makes sense to you, it falls under a place and um, you can escape kind of traditional disciplinary boundaries. Well done.
0: Yeah, and in the – you know, it's hard to 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 convince uh, – I mean, not the people who know me really well, but, you know, when I was in Rome just uh, for my little sabbatical, um, I presented this work. And, of course, I know they were all thinking, what the heck is she doing? Oh, yeah, <laughs> what, is, what is this? What are you doing? <laughs> Whatever. And, of course, my this book came out just then, and they were all looking at it. And I thought, well, okay, I know. But, but you know, it is part of what academia is like, is that – uh, the whole idea of the discipline remains, but I'm not saying that discipline is always bad because it does, you have to know things. But I think that we should uh, allow for a little bit more flexibility. Um, we, You can find different roads through these things, right? It's, it's not all just one full speed ahead and that's it kind of thing. That kind of thing. But anyway, so that's my 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 hope. I mean, it still is fairly early days yet, but I have done quite a bit already. And what could be more fun than to watch films as a way of research?
1: <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> All right. Um, what? Thank you so much, uh, listeners. This uh, We've been talking to Rosemary San Juan, Professor of History of Art at University College London, about the new book, Violence and the Genesis of the Anatomical Image. Out with uh, Penn State University Press, find it at your local bookstore or click on our website if you want to take a look at it in print and trust me, you do. All
0: right. Thank you very much, Rose. Uh, thank you very much. Thank you. Take care. <laughs> okay.